Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dicer. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on all your favorite podcasting apps. Leave a five-star review. Let's get up to that number one spot in the business category. It's a very big category, but we try to be the best for you for PR. But this week, I have Robert Rose with me, and he is... Well, he's helped and he is a marketing leader as well in the art and science of marketing because it is both an art and science. I mean, you kind of got to weigh it both and make sure it's all good. But he is also effective at storytelling. He's had 10 years of experience in the content advisory. He's advised more than 500 companies, including 15 Fortune 100 companies. But welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It sounds like I should know what I'm talking about, but I really don't. So it's, uh, <laughs> well, I was about to say, well, they don't know that, but they actually may know yeah, that well. now, but <laughs> we'll, we will try to persuade them that you do know what you're talking about. There we go. But the first question is all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Oh, a hundred percent coffee. There's, there's no tea. No. I mean, only iced tea at lunch sometimes, but yeah, hundred percent coffee. Mm. Do you have any like favorite brands that you enjoy or are you just one of those like Starbucks coffee bean like just give oh, me the no, coffee? Oh, no, 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 we're we, 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 we take it relatively seriously here in our little household. Um, so there's a brand called Peerless, um, which is a, a lovely blend that we have. Um, also, uh, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Uh, but um, yeah, Peerless is probably our, our, our favorite. And we, and then we grind our own beans and all of that stuff. So no, like a although I have to grind. tell you, I'm, I've been, I've been enjoying very much. So I'm also like, I need a fast cup of coffee right in the afternoon. And I have to tell you, and they're not a sponsor or they're not, you know, I don't, I have no affiliation to them in any, any stretch, but I've been loving this subscription. I have to coma tear. Um, which is uh, sort of deliver the little, you know, frozen pods of coffee to your house. And, you know, I've been trying to drink more decaf. So it's a great way to subscribe to my afternoon decaf and not have to buy big bags of it. Yeah, they can get pretty big. And then, they, then you have to find room for the big bags. Yeah. And, but I gave a brief summary of your expertise. Can you give our listeners a little bit more about your expertise? Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been in marketing, and I now have the gray hair to to prove it for thirty years, um, and started my career in television, uh, and then quickly moved, uh, and I think everybody quickly moved through the whole dot com supernova. Um, ended up with a number of startup companies there in consulting on the agency side, uh, and then really found when I was the CMO of a, a startup company, a startup software company. And I had built, really, without even intentionally realizing it, a content marketing organization where, I, you know, I hired uh, writers and designers and journalists and all these people to help us turn our little startup into a media operation um, just because we wanted to absolutely be considered, you know, in the, you know, in the mix when we were competing with the likes of IBM and Microsoft and all these gigantic companies and that we were never going to win on the scheme of brand. And weirdly, it worked, um, and we did very well with the company. And then subsequently, I met this guy, Joe Polizzi, 
um, who was kind of going all in on this concept of content marketing. And he started an organization called the Content Marketing Institute, of which I joined, you know, really as it began as their chief strategy officer. And then we grew that little thing to uh, to its, you know, ultimate acquisition by Informa back in 2016 and had a successful exit there for him. He went off to write novels and do things with Web3 and crypto and all that stuff. And I'm still working in content for a living. And so now I have my own little uh, my own little consultancy um, called the Content Advisory, where we help brands operationalize the process of content marketing and content strategy. And along the way, I've written a couple of books and, you know, host a podcast and all the usual stuff. Yes, and all the usual stuff. I don't know about that, but yeah, sure. I mean, for you. <laughs> I mean, for some people, you're, they're like probably an overachiever, but hey, we're glad you're always on the show because <laughs> yeah. we think you have a lot to say. Absolutely. Absolutely. But after advising over 500 companies, what have you learned about the brand's marketing and PR effort? I'm pretty sure you've, you've kind of been like, wait, people are still doing this? Yeah, well, you know, and it's becoming more important than ever. I mean, you know, especially in, you know, I mean, I'm not sure we're quite allowed to say that we're post-pandemic just yet, but in a post-pandemic world, I think brand and PR and storytelling has become probably the most important thing in a marketing strategy, and we're certainly seeing that in the in the research. Um, but, you know, I would point to Edelman's Trust Barometer um, this year, the 2022 version, where they really said that, uh, you know, social responsibility, you know, and, and has become a corporate function in business. And that, if nothing, is, is all about telling more powerful, trustworthy stories to, you know, through our brand and PR channels. And it's in many ways, and we could certainly talk about this in many ways, PR has really, I think, lost its way a little bit because it got so wrapped around the axle of trying to do, you know, newsrooms and become, you know, become so focused on coverage that it really lost its role as the corporate storyteller, which of course it historically had. Mm. I, yeah. I mean, what has happened with that? I mean, cause PR used to be just about what you said. It's just, it used to be about storytelling. And so has it dynamically shifted because PR people are more focused on just getting the content out and making sure that the reporters get the right content? Are they more cared about actually being the reporters themselves now because a lot of newsrooms have closed? Is there like a dynamic where that's kind of a weird transition or are we go in the wrong direction in that transition? Well, I think many PR, certainly the, the, the PR folks that get it have realized that there is an opportunity here for PR to becoming something that it once was, right? Literally relating to the public. You know, how do we take our brand and relate it to the public? And in so many ways, the role of, you know, of PR was as the storyteller, that which brought the brand story out to the public and increased the value of the brand as a result of that. And I think what we had over the last, you know, call it 15 years, really, you know, 15 or 20 years, is PR slowly became a, you know, a sales mechanism of content distribution, right? I mean, it literally became, where do we take our marketing materials and try to get them placed on third-party sites? And, you know, so much of what the classic, you know, the coverage book and, and everything that happened in PR was all about how do we get our content independent of what it was, 
some on somebody else's site, whether that be, you know, a journalist covering us, whether it be a blogger covering us, whether it be social media, sort of sharing that story. It all became a distribution game. And really the question became, well, what is it we're distributing, right? Because in so many ways it was marketing materials or sales materials or the hiring of some new executive or the hiring of some new amazing employee or the corporate, you know, acquisition of X or Y or the analyst relations of Z and all of those sorts of things became about us, about us, about us. Let me tell you more about us. Enough about us. What about us? Right. And so in so many ways, what we see is PR evolving to say, how do we take a step back and start talking about the stories that we want to tell as a brand and start building that either in owned media channels, like in other words, building our sort of content hubs or uh, story hubs, or in many cases, actual publications, or how do we evolve the coverage we're trying to get on third-party sites to talk more about what, we, what it is we stand for as a brand and deliver value through that? Because honestly, that's the way, you know, some statistic, I'm sure you know it better than, than, than most, which is, you know, for every journalist, there's now seven publicists or something like that. It's, 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 it's crazy, the, you know, the sort of asymmetry that exists in trying to get our story out there. And so, I mean, has this been just an evolution because of the journalistic industry basically retreating or not having enough money or going bankrupt? A lot of them have gone bankrupt. Is this kind of PR filling that role, even though they may have not filled that role, but they had to fill that role just because they needed to tell the story of the company. And this was really the only way they could do it because you never really know if the reporter still works at the same publication as it did for a while or even maybe for a few months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what a lot of it has happened is, I mean, certainly the disruption of the publishing industry has played a huge role in this, right? I mean, where, you know, the, the democratization of the news um, has, you know, and in many ways, you know, the brands being able to take the news directly to the public has, has affected this, right? Because do I really need to get my news from, you know, XYZ publication, or can I get it the news as it stands from just a filtered Google search or a filtered, you know, alert, you know, app. So I don't really need, you know, there's this, that great scene uh, going all the way back to uh, uh, John Stewart's Daily Show, where he had the, you know, this was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago when he had the editor of the New York Times. This is before the New York Times' sort of evolution. And the editor of the New York Times sets, sits down and John Stewart says, oh, you're the guy who brings me yesterday's news, right? Because it's just so real time now that you don't really need a newspaper to bring you the news. And what we've seen is, of course, journalism evolve out of that to what do I think about the news, right? You know, so when we see the journalism these days in so many ways, in bad and good, by the way, there's, you know, positive and negative sides to this. It's not the news. It's our point of view on the news. And that's where we're trying to get coverage these days as, as PR professionals, is we're trying to find the right reporters who will share their point of view on our news. And that becomes just an exceedingly hard thing to do because everybody's after those journalists for the exact same thing. And so, I mean, I mean, it's kind of funny you said the yesterday's news, but should the publishing company or the news company or the news industry or the journalists actually embrace the yesterday's news as more of a philosophical of like figuring out the story because you have 24 hours extra to fill out the story. And so maybe instead of embracing the 
the right now they should they should embrace the we're gonna wait we're gonna take our time type of a thing i know not everybody likes it but there seems to be a different dynamic that they need they should have embraced and they embraced the wrong thing and now they're trying to catch up and always be like first and sometimes first means you're not correct well that's where the whole equation of trust comes in right because it's almost impossible these days to become first right i mean inherently by definition there can only be one um so really the idea of becoming first all the time is not going to be a differentiator that's sustainable and so to your point it becomes the overarching meaningfulness or trustworthiness of the content that's being generated by the organization and that's what you see a lot of brands doing right so brands understand that they can't be you know, first, they just don't have the, they don't have the, 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 you know, the, the people power or the technology, or quite honestly, the, the abilities, the capabilities to be first in any story. So what they end up doing is, you know, becoming thought leaders, right? Where you ultimately publish what it is you believe the implications are about whatever happened in the news. And you do so days or weeks or even months following whatever, whatever it is that happened. But to your point, as a news organization, the trustworthy, you know, and you can see organizations really starting to differentiate on this, right? The New York Times, you know, to the to a lesser extent, you know, the Washington Post and 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 others, where you know, and even industry magazines really moving away from the idea of being as timely or but moving into a situation where they're the most trustworthy, right? Theirs is the most trustworthy. That's the reason you subscribe is not because you're going to get it first. You're going to get it first from anybody. You're going to get it first from Google or Facebook or your friends who are posting it up in real time. Twitter now with the Ukraine war, right? You know, it's, 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 you know, that's where you're going to find the first, but you're going to get the meaningful experience, the trustworthy experience from the publication. And that's hard. That's hard for PR professionals because they have to now chase that trust, right? They have to then not only persuade the journalist that their article or their story that they're trying to push is valuable and timely, but it's also going to embolden them with trust, right? It's going to, it's going to help them on that journey. And boy, that's tough, you know, when you're pitching a new product launch or something like that. So, I mean, the question is, is now PR pros, are we just now chasing trust all the time? Like we can't actually like hit that trustworthiness we have to chase the next trustworthiness scale is probably the best way of saying it but that's the opportunity right that's that's the amazing opportunity that we have in pr right now is that you know so this goes back to the the edelman trust barometer where they find that business is really the only standing trusted institution right as a public as a consumer of media we don't trust mainstream media. We don't trust the government. We don't trust our institutions. We don't even trust nonprofit organizations. Business is the, the only institution that is considered both ethical and competent. And so that trustworthiness is an opportunity for corporate storytellers to start to build an audience and build value and trust with those audiences so that it drives value for the brand, right? And so, you know, I mean, you can have a good bottle of scotch over, you know, what it says about our culture that, you know, where our trust is so low and everything, but the opportunity as a business, you know, 
you know, a great example of this, you know, we worked with one financial services organization that has created their, you know, their thought leadership program, their blog and their resource center to the extent where the audience, and they've done the research to show this, the audience that they have gotten subscribed trusts that brand for thought and tr on, on, on the content more than they trust like Financial Times or Wall Street Journal or MSNBC or any of the sort of traditional media houses. They don't have nearly the same interaction quantity, but when they do have interaction with that content, they trust it higher than those. So it actually, in a weird way, makes more sense for MSNBC or Wall Street Journal to advertise on that company's blog than it does the other way around. So that's the opportunity we have in business is to create a much deeper level of relationship with consumers if we can create content that delivers that trust. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you break that trust? So for example, let's talk about another financial thing. PayPal decided it was going to and this is actually the, from this past week, actually this weekend, basically, if you spread quote unquote misinformation, we'll deduct $2,500 from your, from your credit from us. Yeah. And everybody was like, wait a minute here. Like how, yeah. why are you deciding what's misinformation or not? And they got big, they got a lot of flack for it. And they're like, oopsies, like their PR for saying sorry was kind of like, oh, we didn't intend for this to happen. It's like, you didn't intend for this to happen. So like, how do you judge that? Because PR people need to understand it. Like if you make a mistake, just own it. Cause that's the other part of trust is that saying, oh, well, we, we thought this was a good idea, but then we, we were told by our audience that this wasn't a good idea. Our bad, we'll do better. But instead PayPal was like, oh, whoops, we didn't really want you to find out. It seems like. Great. It's a great, it's a great point. And I will not purport myself to be a, a great expert in crisis communications. Um, but to your point about sticking your foot in it, you know, the question isn't if it's when, right. You know, every brand at some point will stick their foot in it. And the, you know, I mean, you, you can argue like somebody at the PayPal, like somebody sat around in a meeting and went, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's go out with that. It's like, wait, what are you thinking? Right. But we will all stick our foot in it at some level, intentionally or unintentionally, we will do that. And that is where building up that equity of trust is a huge win, right? Because if you have that trusted audience, well, now you can start to tell your story in a way that starts to give you a bit of a head start in that crisis communication, right? It's like, yes, see what we've been doing over here right, where we've been building this amazing, you know, sort of equity of trust, if you will. And yes, we totally messed up, right? When you see someone like PayPal make that mistake, it's one thing. If you see someone, you know, I mean, how many times have we seen Apple step in it? Or have we've seen, you know, other brands that are more trusted step in it, but then be able to step out of it just as elegantly because they have a constant effort toward going on and creating that trust with their, you know, with their consumers. Mm. And then, I mean, speaking of like trust is the content part of the trust too, of like getting out good content, making sure it's on brand or whatever is the content part of this strategy. Because I mean, you could have a good written message, but a lot of people don't really read as much anymore or they just read headlines. So should we just be like doing our message on headlines now? Just 10 word headlines and be like, this is our message. Or should it be like focused on like video and like all this other stuff? Is, is that part of the message of creating that good content? Yeah, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's the, 
you know, I, I talked a little bit about this when I did my keynote for Content Marketing World this year, where I talked about the content itself not it doesn't really provide you any competitive advantage. It is the operation that you put behind it. In other words, when you when you have a scalable, repeatable operation for how you create, manage, and utilize content. This is, by the way, what helps you keep you from stepping in it, right? What, you know, the reason most brands will step in the, you know, in the mud is because they don't have a process for this. And somebody comes up with some harebrained idea that doesn't go through any amount of vetting. And then somebody goes, yeah, just publish it and let's see what happens. And that's when it, it goes completely sideways. And so having a process which feels like you're going to slow things down, but actually helps speed things up in a weird way. Having a process and a, and a, and a, and a, you know, a messaging architecture and a narrative architecture and a planning process and a calendar and a thoughtful method of looking at what it is we're going to say as a brand is critical. So call that a content strategy if you like, and we do, but that's the real key is the operation that you put behind this and the thoughtfulness behind that operation, because the content itself is going to be, you know, ephemeral, right? And, you know, today it's headlines for Google tomorrow. It's long form content for, you know, Facebook, you know, the next day it's this kind of content for, you know, TikTok. you know, the content will change and evolve and, and just sort of be this always changing idea that we have to swim through. True. I think Google's now really their search. They're really focusing in on visual visual search. Like there, I just saw like a redesign where they're putting more visuals on the actual Google search, and then basically adding like video search console to I think the tag manager or something like that. And then GA four. I think they're trying to step into more visual content. So, I mean, for marketing and PR pros, how do you get this to be good? For Google search, because you always want to be on top, but also make sure that your structure of like the message is still sound where you're not stepping in it as much, I guess is the best way of saying it. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, what we've been, we, I've been calling it the return of push content, right? Because if you think about it, the, where, where we can see things evolving to at least now, I mean, things may change certainly, but what we can see now is that search itself is starting to become inefficient. So the major platforms and us as minor platforms, businesses, are leaning much more into content discovery rather than searching for content. Because now it's just, you know, there's such, you know, there's such a, a sea of data and intent available to platforms, meaning everybody from Google to Facebook to TikTok to, you know, LinkedIn to us that we can start to anticipate what people are looking for before they're even looking for it. And so that's, you know, if you look at the Google sort of trend, they're starting now to say, yeah, you're searching for this, but what you're really looking for is X, Y, or Z, right? You're looking for a recipe, but what you're really looking for is the finished ingredients of this cake. And so that's a different perspective of taking about how we create content because now it becomes not how do we get found, but it becomes once we get found, what's the next thing that we need to be ready to push their way to for them to discover so that they engage with us? So it's almost like mind reading, but not really because you have data on everything behind it, but almost like right. almost like future telling the customer, oh, this is actually what you're really looking for. I know you're searching for this, but this is what you're really looking for. That's right. 
That's right. It's, you know, the equivalent, the, the, the metaphor I often use is you search for best Mexican restaurant in Los Angeles this is my hometown, Los Angeles. And so I search for best Mexican restaurant in, you know, in the Valley, right. Which is, you know, a, a neighborhood within, within Los Angeles. What I'm really looking for is to make reservations for Monday night, right? That's where I'm, what I'm looking for is dinner for Monday night. And I'm just happy to say, oh, I want to go eat Mexican and I'm looking for the best one. That's how I'm going to search for it. But what Google can start to discern based on my content consumption and my profile is that it understands that, yeah, you want to know the 10 best, but you're really not looking to read a review of 10 restaurants. What you're looking for is a suggestion that this is the best and here's the availability for Monday night. And that kind of anticipation of the content experience at a much more you know micro level for businesses, when I go to an e-commerce store or when I go to you know a, a newsroom or I go to a content marketing platform like a thought leadership center or something like that, yes, I'm searching for this or I'm looking at that, but what I'm really looking for is you know a solution that you know or progress toward a solution on why. And understanding that is a critical part of a new content strategy. Mm. And so should PR pros or marketing professionals do the, their own customer journey through their own company and try to figure this out too? Should they go through that journey and be like, okay, well, I'm searched for this, but what I'm really thinking about is this. So they can almost, or they can attempt to future tell what they're really looking for. Is that a way of doing it? Or even maybe testing it out with some loyal customers? Yeah. I mean, we talk about this idea of buyer personas all the time, right? You know, and, and so, but what we really need to start thinking about, and this is especially true for PR pros are audience personas, right? Because most of the audiences, you know, for PR are not buyers, right? Remember buyer is an attribute. It only, it only applies in a very small part of a person's life. And our marketing and sales materials should pretty much cover the buyer attribute of a human, right? Of the people that we're actually trying to engage. But PR have journalists, they've got analysts, they've got, you know, uh, government officials, they've got influencers, they've got all kinds of other audiences that, quite honestly, will never be buyers. They will never have the attribute of buyer, but they have the influence on those that would be uh, buyers. And so doing that persona level research and understanding their needs, their uh, opportunities, their levels of trust, their processes is an incredibly important thing for the PR professional these days. Gotcha. And then, I mean, for all this stuff, do you have any tools to recommend for PR pros? Maybe they're like, oh, this is a lot. Where do I get started? Like, how do I get all this stuff going for like web two point, I'll call it 2.5 right now. Cause we're kind of in a transition period to web three, right. but web 2.5 to web three, because I mean, that's the other horizon coming up is how do I start the ball rolling to future tell, but also make sure I'm future proof for the next web version. Yeah. I, you know, as it comes to web three, my, my, my advice is don't start there. Um, because there is a lot of, you know, there, you got time, right? There's, there's a lot of time right now to figure out what you're doing with NFTs and how you're trying to sort all that out from a customer loyalty or something like that, or a metaverse type of strategy. What I would really suggest as a first step for PR is really to get back in the driver's seat of being corporate storyteller. And where that starts, it's as, as unsexy as this is going to sound, it all starts in rebuilding the charter uh, internally to ensure that what, we're, what our true objective with public relations really is, 
is it really, you know, the charter of this group, this team, our agency to get us more coverage, to get us more interviews with our CEO on industry magazines, or is it the charter to start developing trust with different audiences that can help us spread our brand story to, to, you know, to a greater extent? I would argue that it's the latter, but there is a absolute, you know, understanding at a business core that needs to take place for that to happen. And then once you've built those activities, now we can start talking about the content and how we're going to distribute it and tell those stories. But until you have that new rebuilt charter of measurement, purpose, and approach in, you know, for what public relations really is in your business, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to go very far. Other than getting, you know, other than getting more, you know, a few journalists to cover, you know, your new VP hire, you know, as a blurb on the front page of their magazine for about 10 minutes. Mm. So it's almost like rediscovering almost the soul of the business or at least the message. Exactly. It's a great way to put the it. business. Yeah. It's a great way to put it. Gotcha. And then fun question for you. What is the one thing people don't know about writing a book? Because I'm pretty sure people are like, oh, I can write books. Books are easy. It's like, wait, I didn't know I but how do you do this, kid? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I would say there are two, and and, and the, the the first one I would say is uh, the the first misconception is is that it pays anything. Um, you know, do not write a book if you're trying to make money. It does not it does not pay well. Um, the second idea that I would say is, I think the and this is this is the thing that is hardest for me is to understand that when you know. A lot of us are good at writing a 500-word post or a 1,000-word post, and there is such a difference between writing that 1,000 or 1,500-word blog post and writing a 5,000-word chapter and then stringing together 12 or 13 of those 5,000-word chapters. Um, it is just exponential. It is not five times as hard to write that chapter. It is 10 times as hard to write that 5,000 word chapter instead of that 1,500 word blog post. And stringing those together in a way is just, it's really difficult and don't underestimate it. And don't underestimate the power of outlining and doing your index cards and all of that first. Write the story and then write the book. Gotcha. And then where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me mostly uh, on, for social media, I'm spending most of my time these days on LinkedIn. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with our friend, Mr. Musk and Twitter, but, um, you know, I, I do have a bit of a presence there as well, but, uh, on our website, it's uh, contentadvisory.net where you can read more and see what we're all up to. All right. Any final thoughts for listeners? Uh, you know, I, I think I'm such a huge fan of public relations have been for 30 years of my time in marketing and I think it's time finally, you know, one of the things that I hear a lot is that PR agencies, especially, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times that a leader, you know, mid-level leader in a big PR firm comes out and says, will come up to me and say some version of the following, you know, yeah, we give a lot of lip service to content marketing and content strategy and being the corporate storyteller. And we have once a quarter, we have a big pizza meeting where we show up and it's an all hands and we have pizza and some senior level leader of the organization comes out and says, we're going to switch everything and we're going to be great and we're going to get into content marketing and content strategy and we're going to totally become the corporate storyteller and everybody cheers and eats pizza and drinks a beer 
and then goes back to their Zoom room or their cube and basically tries to fill up their coverage book for their clients. And so make it real. Make If you can, you know, I'm such a huge fan of this, and I think PR has a unique opportunity in this moment to make content their, you know, their purview uh, and become and return to the glory days of being the corporate storyteller. And it's ever more important than it has been. So, you know, my, my, my best of luck to all of those, because I'm a huge fan. All right. Well, thank you, Robert, for joining PR360 and sharing your knowledge on content and messaging and everything else in between. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on all your favorite podcasting apps. We can five-star review. Get us up to that number one in the business category. And as always, see you guys next week. Be sure to get to understand your messaging and get the soul of the messaging of the company. And again, see you next week. Later.